What's up everybody and welcome to Found Flicks. On this ending explained, we're kicking off our look at the VHS series, starting way back where it all began in 2012. In the anthology VHS, a group of misfits are hired to burglarize a desolate house to find a rare VHS tape and discover more found footage than they bargained for, as horror unravels over several mysterious tapes. Now horror anthologies have been around for a long time, but what makes VHS stand out is that it is a found footage style anthology, and that is a, you know, new concept. Concept. It also features several stalwarts of indie horror, with segments from Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett, Ty West, Radio Silence, and David Bruckner. So there's definitely some creative chops behind this one, but just like every anthology, the segments are very hit or miss. The highlight is definitely the first segment, the only one to ever get its own feature-length spinoff, if that tells you anything, and then the follow-up is by far the worst of the bunch, so it kind of makes the experience overall drag as a result. Some are just kind of boring, and others feel undone due to low budget, but it's still a lot of fun overall, really, and the creativity behind the ideas is definitely there for each, just some don't hit the mark is all. Like, the kid aliens in that one are just woof. Anyway, there are still a lot of questions surrounding each segment and the wraparound story, and that's why we are here today, to dive into each segment and really lay everything out that goes down. So let's check out VHS, breaking down each segment's story and their endings, as well as the wraparound. Our wraparound features a group of skeezy low-life criminals, first seeing them trolling around a parking garage. They find their target, and a young woman, and the gang accost her and lift up her shirt to expose her breasts. And they run off, highly amused with themselves, before her boyfriend returns. <laughs> what an intro. These guys are real stand-up citizens here. They really don't seem to do too much productive. Next scene, destroying an abandoned building with baseball bats, smashing windows, or really anything breakable in their past. We see the tape has been recorded over and has some pieces left behind, seeing one of our guys using it to secretly tape him with a lady. Are all these guys just totally disgusting or what? They later rewatched the lady's footage, boasting that he knew she was a good pick. Nice tatas, lady. Turns out they sell these tapes for 50 bucks a piece to some reality porn place. And yeah, it's totally on the level, dude. They've already been paid like a whole bunch of times. They are desperate to make more, with the idea brought of branching out into doing upskirt videos. Yeah, gotta diversify. Come on, y'all. Their leader, Gary, wants them to shut up and smashes the TV to get their attention, which works pretty well, I guess. Pretty extreme, though, Gary. They have another gig set up by Gary. All they gotta do is break into some house and steal one specific tape. Their recruiter dangled the possibility of more work if they pull this off. He also reveals that their client has seen some of their work already and is a big fan. They're confused how he knows their identities as they don't use their names or anything. But Gary brushes off their concerns. No need to worry. If you can't trust Gary, who can you trust? They arrive at the house and are impressed, saying the guy must be a millionaire or something. They learn that an old man still lives there, and Gary coldly says that if he does wake up, he will take care of it. They pick the lock and start searching the house, finding most of it strangely empty. They creak open another door and get startled, seeing a stack of TVs, all emanating white noise. The old man is there, appearing passed out, but upon further inspection and smell, find out that he's dead. There's still no sign of the tape they're looking for, and they split up with one duo heading to the basement, leaving the other two to check the VCRs. One guy does not want to stick around and shoves Brad in the room by his lonesome closing the door. Alone, Brad plops down in front of the TV and tries a VCR, and it does indeed have a tape inside that begins to play. Hopefully you're not tired of gross dudes yet, because our next bunch feels quite similar to the opening gang. They are pre-gaming for a night out, and have secured a secret weapon to capture their evening. A camera and microphone hidden in a regular set of glasses. Worn by the one guy in the group who isn't a total dick, Clint. At the first bar, Clint is an instant hit with the ladies, calling him adorable. Yet the party isn't popping enough for the others, and they elect to venture to another bar. On the way out, we notice a lonely girl standing there at the top of a 
staircase. At the next bar, Shane is busy flirting with some girl about how many pancakes they can eat, and Patrick is jealous of his flapjack game. And the other girl, Lily, is back giving the camera doe eyes. Shane asks his girl, Lisa, to bring her friends over, and the camera starts to glitch out. Lily then appears right in front of Clint, whispering, I like you. He's way too toasted, moaning that he doesn't know what she's saying, and invites her to meet his friends. She says it louder, I like you, and he stammers back that he likes her too. He tries to ask her something else, and she only repeats the same phrase. Hmm. Something weird about this lady. Clint checks himself out in the mirror and does look pretty tanked, chuckling to himself and wondering what he's doing here. He comes out and the shenanigans reach a fever pitch and they are promptly kicked out of the bar. When the rest of the girls decide to leave, they all quickly turn their attention to Lily and when Patrick tries to get closer, she instantly darts away. The one girl Lisa does join the group and Shane tells the others that he's pretty sure Lily is on drugs. He decides to take things up a notch with some coke and gives her a line that she snarfs up without hesitation. The others complain about him tricking but he defends that he's not tricking anyone. They're all adults here. Oh, Shane, you are a nice guy. Don't, don't let other people tell you otherwise. They hobble back to their hotel room and Clint goes right back to the bathroom to sort himself out. He comes out two things winding down and he nervously joins Lily on the bed while Patrick just keeps drunkenly laughing on the couch. She turns to face him, noticing a quite serious scar running right down the middle of her face. She gets closer and exhales at him and see that Shane is going for it. She whispers again that I like you and Patrick's laughter starts irritating Lily, eerily hissing at him. Clint encourages that she can leave if she's uncomfortable while conversely Shane is still going at it with Lisa even though she's passed out cold. What a gentleman. He shakes her to no effect and takes out his frustration on Patrick, Clint getting everyone to calm down. Shane then turns his leery eye to Lily, asking if they're gonna do this or what. He puts on a faux-sensitive side, inquiring if she's okay, and then goes right into making a move. She looks a bit put off, reaching out for Clint, and he weakly walks off as Shane calls him back to hit this. He yanks off her dress, seeing hive-like patterns on her legs, along with claw-like feet. That doesn't bother Shane though, apparently. Clint tries to get him to stop, but he's already in the middle of removing his belt. She turns the tables on him and hops on top, reaching for Clint, and they make out, noticing that she has a black tongue. Patrick wants to join the party, and she gasps, no. Clint then excuses himself again to catch his breath. Moments later, Patrick comes in in a flurry, shrieking that she bit him. Clint comes out to try to handle the situation, but Lily has got this under control. She turns and screams, bearing fangs, and proceeds to tear the shit out of Shane. The others hole up in the bathroom, hearing Shane screaming in agony. They look out, and she she tosses his body off the bed, and yeah, he's definitely dead now. Pat scrambles to find a weapon and settles on the shower curtain rod. He runs out triumphantly and still butt-ass naked, seeing her posed in the shadows in a strange way. He gets closer, and Clint tries to get Lisa awake. He takes a big swing, and she grabs the pole, lunging at him and tearing his throat out. Clint then hauls himself to the other side of the bed to hide. He peers out, and she has him by the neck, both completely covered in blood. With a quick yank, she tears Patrick's dick clean off and tosses it away, dismissing Clint makes a break for it, panting down the hallway to a staircase. He's going too quickly and loses his footing, breaking his wrist at least in the fall. He hears the door opening above and Lily is there, peeking around the corner. He looks back and her face is split in half at that scar and she gently sighs with a reminder that she likes him. Clint begins to weep softly and she tries to sex him up, which she is definitely not in the mood for. Feeling rejected, she begins to cry and hops away in shame under the stairs. He painfully forces himself to keep going, hearing her shrieking right behind him. He makes it to the lobby 
but they aren't much help, and he tries to get assistance from other guys in the parking lot. One of them tries to warn him, but it's no use. Lily swoops in behind him and lifts Clint high into the air. He glimpses up, seeing that she has completely changed into a monstrous form with wings and everything. He drops the camera, and that's it. This outcome feels like kind of a twist for guys like Shane and Patrick. They're out there doing whatever it takes to get laid, even willing to take advantage of girls. She's doing the same thing in a way, searching for her own partner. Then in the hotel, she reveals her true nature and turns the tables, taking them all out. And in the end, she does get her own partner in Clint, and I would imagine the intent is to use him to make a baby. Lily's story does get expanded on quite a bit in the spin-off feature Siren, so check that out if you're a fan of this segment. We check in with our criminal pals, and one returns to the viewing room, finding that Brad is missing after watching the first tape. The other guys are in the basement, and Gary shouts out that he found something. It's a treasure trove of footage with hundreds of unlabeled tapes. They search for a means to carry them, and hearing a metal clank, he turns around, seeing a gray-looking figure slink by. He tries to tell Gary, but he doesn't believe him. There's no way he saw that old man down here. Either way, they need to hurry up and get out of here. In the tape room, Rox replaces the tape with another and kicks it on. Might as well watch some tapes. Our next tape follows a married couple on a road trip for their second honeymoon, and Stephanie is adamant on recording every moment, every memory, as she states. It does seem pretty boring so far, doing some shopping in a quaint downtown area and petting a donkey. <laughs> Riveting. She later sets up the camera in their gross hotel room in order to capture just how disgusting the bed is. She removes the blanket for the big reveal and is grossed out to find it covered in stains. And at some old Wild West village, she uses a fortune telling machine and the card she's given does end up being relevant. It tells her that a new event will soon come. A happy reunion with a loved one will make your life all you've ever wanted. It also warns that her easily trusting nature can be taken advantage of by friends. She smiles, that all sounds great, and she's gonna keep this card forever. Ready to turn in for the night, he's feeling a little frisky and wants to tape their lovemaking. She continuously rebuffs him unless he turns the camera off and things get a bit awkward. They're interrupted by a knock at the door, the couple blaming each other for being too loud. They knock again and neither wants to answer it, but Sam steps up to be the man. He looks through the peephole and shrugs in confusion. It's some girl, he relays. She shoots out the window, seeing that she's still out there pacing aimlessly. She asks him to fill in for the camera what just happened and he explains that someone knocked on the door and it was a college-aged girl from what he could tell. She oddly asks, if they could give her a ride in the morning, but don't know where in particular. Both agree that it was creepy and guess that she must be going door to door asking everyone, but are confused why she wouldn't wait until the morning when people would be leaving. He doesn't think that she was necessarily intimidating, but it all does make him a bit nervous. There's something scary about her. She goes back to the parking lot and the girl is gone. Her curious if he still wants to call the police. He ultimately elects not to. He would rather just let all this go. If she's still there in the morning, then they can reconsider. He asks if she wants to sleep in bed with him, but she's fine in her own bed, clicking off the lights. Sometime later, someone picks up the camera and pans over to Sam asleep, and then to Steph as well, knowing it must be that mysterious girl. She gets closer and really focuses in on her and then tugs back the sheets. She pulls out a switchblade and runs it down the edge of her underwear, causing Steph to sleepily react by pulling up the covers. Now it's Sam's turn. Yeah, let's see what kind of sexy underwear you got, boy. She instead passes by him down the bed and starts to dig through their belongings, helping herself to some cash from Sam's wallet. She then sneaks into the bathroom and takes his toothbrush, giving it a good toilet bowl rinse off. They wake up in the morning worried about potential rain, and clueless Sam is using his scummy toothbrush, unaware. In the car, he notices his missing cash and accuses her of taking it, and he sighs, well, it wouldn't be the first time you treated yourself. They take in some nice craggy hiking, arriving to a quite breathtaking view. He goes down for a closer look and is out of sight for perhaps a few moments too long, but he's fine. In another motel room, they plan the next stage of the road trip, and he wants to spend a night in Vegas on the way. He's hungry for some 
give craps. She's on board with whatever he wants to do. And so Vegas it is. Back asleep, the video of Oyera returns, zooming in on him snoring softly. She then jams a switchblade in his neck and really digs it around in there, completely slicing his throat in an absolute bloodbath. The killer washes up in the bathroom, and when pulling out, it's revealed that Stephanie and the woman are together as they begin to passionately make out. This one is pretty straightforward. This is all orchestrated by Steph and her girlfriend. They set Sam up to kill him so they can be together. It really does kind of come out of nowhere though, and it's also really weird because they actually seem happy for their entire segment. Then boom, the ending happens. The only real foreshadowing is thanks to the psychic prospector's message. This sounds initially related to her and Sam's relationship, but was actually about her new relationship. Meeting with a former lover and you'll be happier than ever. Just slapped out the cold-blooded murder part. Rox finishes the tape uttering what the fuck was that in response to what he's seen. Can't blame me there, buddy. And then naturally pops in another one and also doesn't notice that the dead guy in the chair is gone. Down in the basement, they debate what makes this one tape so special anyway. And Gary doesn't know. All that matters is they get paid. Oh, and he's definitely gonna make some copies. In Tuesday the 17th, an obvious riff on Friday the 13th, a group of youngsters are out to visit the lake for an old-fashioned good time. It's Wendy who comes out here every year, and none of the others have prior. They ask if it's like a tradition or something, and she squeaks it's just for fun. There's not many people up there, so they'll have the whole place to themselves. Now, there is some confusion over the trip initially. Samantha thought it was supposed to just be a girl's trip, and Joey is in a similar boat. It was supposed to just be the two of them. Still doesn't explain why this guy Spider is here, him saying that he's just happy to be around people, leaving himself wide open to get ripped on. I mean, your name is Spider and you're a giant dweeb, that could be part of the problem too. Wendy does admit that she might have lied, you know, just a little bit. They come to a dead end and everyone is a bit uncomfortable. This can't be the way, right? Of course it is. And they drive deeper into the wilderness. Arriving at the site, the guys goof around and Sam is growing frustrated, wanting to know where the heck they are headed. Wendy calls him over to film something specifically, what appears to just be a random wall. She tells him that it's tripping her out as her friend tripped over it last year. It looks like it was more than a trip as a wave of glitches take over the video, exposing a mutilated body there. They have it upon an animal carcass and Spider jokingly gets closer to it and Joey shoves his head further. Total pranksters, these two. Wendy looks out, appearing lost in the rippling water, which then glitches to a naked dead dude floating on the surface. Wendy's behavior only gets weirder, solemnly telling Joey they're all gonna die, leaving him absolutely baffled. But he doesn't bring it up at first, as it's time for some straight up chilling, skipping some stones and smoking a dude. When it comes to Spider, he doesn't do drugs, but thanks to some peer pressure, he takes a big old toke and hacks up a lung. Joey then asks about that strange comment, and she reveals that the place was the site of several grisly murders. Wendy then gets emotional, crying that she doesn't even remember what they look like. They're even more confused now, and then she starts to guffaw. It was all just for show. Or was it? Spider follows Sam to film her using the bathroom. Yeah, seriously. And they discuss the weird killer thing. She's not sure what's going on with it, but it is definitely creeping her out. She starts to show off a new dance just for him, and he pans over, now seeing someone amongst the glitches wearing a red hood. They launch a knife that gouges out her eye, and Spider attempts to run. He doesn't make it too far, and the killer stabs him mercilessly in the head and drags his body away. Moments later, a pair of boots enter, and we already know it's Wendy, who looks into the lens with a steely gaze. What are you up to, lady? She rejoins a clueless Joey, asking about the other guys. She casually tells him that they left, and starts aggressively coming onto him. Let's hop in the lake and film the whole thing. More filming of sex, apparently. There's obsessed every filmmaker in this freaking movie. Bunch of horn dogs. He chuckles to turn off the camera, and then brings up the murders. He knows they were real, not a joke, as he remembers hearing about them 
himself. He says that they were killed by an insane man, but she goes beyond that. He was not just insane, he was evil. The lake was filled with their blood. And he interrupts her to move on, I get it. The black glitch starts getting closer and she corrects now that she needed them for bait. No one believes the killer is still out here and can be in two places at once. He laughs that she's crazy and needs to get some help and wants to gather the others and get out of here. She reveals that they're dead. He's back and this time is coming for you. The killer gets right up behind him and slits his throat. Well, there you go. Sorry, Joey. She runs off scolding herself to get it together. She apparently has a plan that she sets into action, luring the killer right into a trap. He wiggles his way out and she shouts for him to follow after. He appears in another spot and walks right into a bear trap. She tries to get closer to get a clearer image of his face, but to her frustration still can't make out his visage. She sprints through the trees in terror and lands with a heavy thud. She warns any viewers not to come out here and spots Joey walking around brain dead. After a few more zombie-like steps, he collapses dead right next to her. The glitch manifests and the killer rises over his body. She taunts him to attack her and gets him with another well-placed trap, jamming a whole bed of spikes into his body. She gets right up to him, spitting, I beat you, one-on-one. -on -one. He begins to wriggle his way free and a branch snaps, pulling her attention away. And of course, when she looks back, he's gone, then reappearing in the trees. He leaps down, overpowering her and bashes her with the camera before completely disemboweling her for good measure. Her body begins to writhe violently and, well, so much for a big plan. Now we really don't get much info on what is going on here beyond the obvious. Wendy had come here the year prior and the same glitch killer murdered all of her friends. She came back with her new pals to act as bait and then eventually try to kill him with her traps. You know, after all, they're dead already, I guess. Though I'm not really sure why she thought any of this would work because the killer seems to only exist in a kind of in-between plane that can only be seen on camera. Since he can literally jump through space and stuff, it doesn't sound like ever taking him out for good is really any kind of an option. And then, I mean, I, mean, I guess the tape does prove that the killer is out there. Back with our crime pals, the old man has returned to his chair, but now Rox has vanished as well. Gary tasks Jack to keep watching the tape while he goes to look for them, which he is not too pleased about. What? It's fun. Watch the evil tapes. You'll like it. Come on, do it for Gary. This segment is all presented via computer video call, so not sure how it ended up on a VHS tape exactly. Oh well. Emily is discussing her day with her boyfriend James and complains that her arm hurts. She thinks she must have bruised it or something, showing off that there's a bump there. She then spills about her dream to be a stay-at-home mom when he becomes a doctor, and they have some charming banter about it, but he's really totally fine with it anyway. The next day, she wants to show off her new place, but he reminds her that he'll be there in just a week. She shows off the hallway, saying this is where she heard those voices. He considers that it could be your upstairs neighbor or something, but she knows that it wasn't. She always wears heels. It's also weird to her because it didn't seem real at the time, but she knows that she was awake, although she didn't actually check anything out as she was way too scared to do so. And James is misses the whole thing. She simply must have been asleep. She calls back later, telling him there's something at her door right now. She decides to open it, despite his discouragement. She flings it open, telling him she's convinced her apartment is haunted. He says that it all is in her imagination, but this all feels familiar to her, reminding her of her first big accident when she was a kid, the first time they had ever been apart. And strangely, during the second time they've been apart, all of this is happening again. Hmm, I wonder what the connection there is. Suddenly, a little guy comes running in behind her and slams the door. Nah. Okay, an alien, I guess. But the budget isn't really convincing. Looks like a kid in a t-shirt, something like that. It's supposed to be like a big first scare and you're just like, what, are the, what is that guy doing here? I don't know, it's like do anything else with it instead of just putting a kid in a t-shirt with some black eyeliner or whatever. Oh man. They talk about it the next day while she's distracted with scratching her arm. He considers that it might not have been a person. It could have just been a breeze, you know? Yeah, in the house with no windows open. That's how breezes work. And even worse, they forgot to record their chat. Wait, they weren't recording? Now I'm 
really confused how this tape even exists in the first place. She calls back later with news of more noises, and she grabs some scissors per his urging. She sees something in the living room, but can't quite make it out. So she utilizes a camera to snap some images, the flashes briefly illuminating the room. The green kid is back, and she flees to her room, and that's it for now. She later laments that she should have talked to him, as she believes that it's a child's ghost. Oh, and bummer, James didn't record anything from that night again. Well, so much for a ghost theory anyway. She talked to the landlord, and no one like that ever lived here. She's still dealing with her arm that now has a straight up hole in it, and she digs around in there with some tweezers. <laughs> he begs her to stop. This is just like her leg seven years ago. She doesn't listen and grabs some barbecue tongs, and he pleads once more, stop digging around in there. She gives in and goes to clean it, him encouraging that he'll be there in less than a week. Just keep it together until then. The strange activity returns. She can hear the boy's footsteps right outside. She wants to try to talk to him, but needs his help. Since she's too scared to look at the ghost, she's gonna close her eyes and he will act as them for her. She spins the computer around and searches each room one by one. Finding nothing, she turns the camera back on herself, and now we can make out two figures there. A bright light takes over, and she's suddenly on the floor, along with two long-haired kids there just hanging out. Again, great alien design. This whole thing would have been totally different if it didn't look like shit. James rushes to her side and cuts an incision in her back and jams his hand right up in there. He then yanks out a little baby and discusses the matter with the others. You're telling me this is part human? They respond in a weird mess of distorted garbles, and he wants to know how many more times he has to do this. Whatever they say, it doesn't sound good. Him complaining that he doesn't think that she'll survive all that. What about the tracking device in her arm? Does it expire, he asks. More garbling, he's told. Fine, he sighs, but he's gonna have to make it look like an accident. So he's gonna have to break some more bones. So not only was James lying about being in Michigan, he's literally somewhere else in the apartment. I'm not sure how she missed him in that way, secret compartment, but also is working with these alien kid things who helped him birth human alien hybrid babies. <laughs> Isn't that always the way? He checks in on her later and she's looking pretty messed up thanks to him, but she's at least hopeful after seeing the doctor. They basically told her she was nuts and now she's on some sweet, sweet antipsychotic meds, but is at least comforted that all of this was in her mind. What else would make sense, right? She then gets emotional when he offers that she'll be okay. You don't know that, she cries, and she moans that he should be with someone normal. She doesn't deserve him. Oh, honey, you have no idea. He stays supportive and tells her to get some rest, yet he's even more full of beans than anticipated as he's next seen talking with a different girl and another potential incubator. She, just as him, complains of a sore spot on her arm, and he promises to look at it when he gets there. Starting the whole thing all over again. It's really weird though, as he's known him his whole life, and it sounds like he had done this before when she was a kid, the whole breaking her leg thing. It's just weird, and we also don't know where the aliens came from, or how this whole setup of them working together came to be, but the intent is clearly using his medical training to target girls to make some alien babies. For what purpose? Why not? <laughs> We check in with the dwindling criminals, and now that Zack is gone, only Gary remains. And the old man has left his chair again. He grabs a camera, hearing footsteps nearby. He looks down, seeing someone's head there, and then another person. The old man, it seems, is in the doorway, sending him sprinting down the stairs. He clumsily crashes, and the old man is still on his tail. As he gets closer, we see his face is split at the jaw, and he groans, taking Gary out. Well, now they're all dead, so that's the end of that story. But we know now that the guys were obviously set up from the beginning. Gary mentions the client knew about their work, and thusly, it all makes it feel like this was orchestrated as punishment for the boy's greasy dealings. It seems the tapes themselves are cursed in a sense, and by watching them, you wind up dead. Or otherwise, the old man spirit rises and gets you instead. Or maybe you finish the tape, and then the old man ghost comes and gets you. They don't really make that clear. The chair in the room is now empty, and we perhaps via some kind of ghost power switch tapes to our final tale. On Halloween, back in 1998, Chad gets ready to head out to a Halloween party, dressed as a teddy bear outfitted with a hidden nanny cam. He meets up with his three other friends out front, and one guy 
guy is dressed as the Unabomber. Great choice, but better than uh, his other pal. It's just a soldier. They're psyched for the big night, but the dreaded LA traffic proves problematic. It's okay though, as there's gonna be a ton of people at the party, including the girls coming later. They aren't sure exactly where they're going, but are confident that they'll figure it out. They then arrive at what they think is the house and crack open some beers as they roll up. Yet strangely, the place looks more like a museum and they quickly notice no one is inside. They're confused, but I mean, the lights are all on, so someone must be in there. They find a door to get in and the place is dead. No sign of a party or anyone else whatsoever. They know it's supposed to be some kind of shitty haunted house and from what they've seen so far, they are less than impressed. Until one guy on his own sees a ghostly reflection in a china cabinet and then another behind him on the stairs. The rest of the guys storm in all of us. They saw something strange too, but again, they think this is a haunted house and thusly all fake. They all head upstairs as another door creaks open on its own. They explore more dark rooms and see someone there in the mirror, but they disappear when they look back. Based on all the stuffed dolls, this must be a little girl's room. There's a loud bang sounding like a gunshot and then the lights come back on. The Unabomber shows up with plans to scare Matt and it does work pretty good. They continue looking around the house and hear what sounds like a muffled voice as they open more and more doors. The voice becomes clear. A man preaching, arise, O Lord, cast you down. They're hopeful that they found the party after all, entering a small staircase that leads to the attic. Up there is a group of guys gathered around a strung up girl, her screaming for help. They still think it's part of the haunted house and the boys begin to join in on their chanting. The others are shocked to see them, growling they shouldn't be here. And when one guy starts smacking the girl around, they realize this might be more real than they thought. The camera glitches out and one guy is lifted into the air, followed by another, howling in pain before flying away. She keeps screaming and the camera starts really going on the fritz. The boys flee right for the front door, but Tyler stops, hearing the girl still screaming for help. He feels that they have to go back and they open the door to her about to get stabbed. The guys attack them and another is lifted away by the same force. He grabs at his chest as though having a heart attack and then ascends. Tyler uses the knife to get her restraints loose and ghostly arms start poking out of the walls. They carry the girl downstairs as the house descends into pure madness. Doors are blown off and birds fly out of another room along with haunted handprints appearing on the wall. As they navigate downstairs, the whole place is a funhouse of ghostly activity in every single room. Another random door leads them down to the basement where more ghoulish hands emerge from the earth. More reach out grabbing for them and they carry the girl outside, screeching to get to the car. They scramble to get their bearings and get her to a hospital, but even with a map, have no idea where they are. Curse you, 1998! As they drive, they try to keep her awake and she begins to hyperventilate. As soon as she regains consciousness, the car suddenly stalls. There's a distorted shriek and the girl disappears from the back seat and manifests at the back window before vanishing again. Woo! Impressive. That was a Yoda voice for some reason. A fog covers the windows and she's back up front flanked by an army of birds. They then realize they are stuck in the middle of train tracks and there's a train coming. It's light barreling towards them. There is no hope of escape and the train crashes right into them. Another tragic end for our VHS subjects. Well, our hapless boy has definitely wandered into the wrong house, that's for sure. The twist here, of course, is that the girl who seems to be the victim is actually the bad guy in spite of our first impression. We now understand the guys had her captive for a reason, and from what we can tell, we're potentially performing an exorcism to get rid of an evil spirit possessing her. It was also this that was responsible for all the craziness in the house, as we see those same birds surrounding her later. Does suck for the dumb guys, though, who really did just go to the wrong place. And even worse, if they hadn't gone back to rescue her, they'd probably all still be alive. I guess get better directions is the real lesson here. Well, that's the end of our spooky video misadventures for now, but keep an eye out for my video on the sequel coming out soon, as well as the rest of the series. And don't forget, before we go, you can send me requests for any movies or TV shows you'd like to see me explain by sending them my way on any of my social media accounts at Foundflix. What did you think of VHS and its ending? Which is your favorite segment of the bunch? Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow. Thanks for watching Foundflix. See you next time.